This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Forsyth. So the story of Pestminster continues to rumble on uh, as this morning Cabinet Minister Anne-Marie Trevelyan told LBC this. I'm very comfortable being, uh, as you know, Nick, a strong and forthright uh, plain-speaking woman uh, called it out when it's come in my direction. And M- I, Might I ask how that misogyny presented itself? Uh, well, we might describe it as wandering hands, uh, if you like. We might describe it as, uh, you know, uh, m- a number of years ago being pinned up against a wall by uh, a male MP who is now no longer in the House, I'm pleased to say, uh, declaring that I must want so him because great. he was a powerful man. These sorts of things, the power abuses that a very small minority, thank goodness, uh, of male colleagues uh, show uh, is completely unacceptable. Now, James, you know, this is a story that's been dominating uh, Westminster throughout the week, but do you think that it has more places it could go, more stories like Anne-Marie Trevelyan's that will just come out because there is such a pervasive culture? I think as more female MPs are prepared to talk about the things that have happened to them in Westminster then I think there will be more to come out. Now, I, I declared very confidently on yesterday's podcast that I thought things had got better than they were, you know, a, a decades ago. I must admit, I, I was quite struck that, that when the Dean Doris, the Culture Secretary, said that she thought things had got worse, which, which is interesting. And, and I should just say that because, because you know, obviously that is her perception. And, and I think that, 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 that is an interesting point about what is at issue here. I think there are, I think there are issues... I think the, the the sheer number of them, you know, I, I come back to the point, I mean, individuals need to take responsibility for their own behaviour. But I also think that, that, that there is a... Political parties are just very bad at dealing with HR, but these things either become factionalised or they're, they're all they're regarded as important until something else comes along and actually it's a really crunch vote and getting this person to vote for X, Y or Z is more, is more important. And I, I also think there is... There is a, just a kind of uh, there is a difficulty about the fact that it's not a normal nine to five job, and I mean that creates difficulties. It can put people into situations that they might not wish to be in because they're sitting around in the Commons waiting for a vote late in the evening, and they'd much rather be at home. Um, and and I mean, so I think there's a kind of there are structural issues and problems here and I think we wait to see political parties and Westminster are just very bad at dealing with kind of HR stuff and I think that creates a problem. Kate what what do you think what kind of safeguarding measures do you think can be taken because I mean I think part of the problem as James says is institutional the way it works that creates this kind of culture especially with young researchers who can be female working for older MPs and that the the like what what kind of measures can be taken to protect people more? Well, uh, to James's point about individuals taking responsibility, you know, I really hope we're not in a place where any young woman would be nervous to work for, say, an older male MP, because the vast majority of people out there, whether they be in Parliament or elsewhere, you know, decent people who understand the concept of consent and, and you know, going even further, the underst- understanding of um, power dynamics. But, you know, James brings up HR, and it's a really important point, because every time a Pestminster scandal or a bullying scandal has come up over the past decade, people point 
point to the lack of HR in Parliament. And maybe a committee is put together, maybe more resources resources are brought in, but I don't think there's been a real comprehensive effort to solidify to people not just where they go and how they get there if something bad happens, but an understanding amongst those, especially, you know, in the highest levels of power, that everyone is subject to the same rules. And, you know, I agree broadly with James that things have certainly gotten better for women everywhere, you know, certainly including Westminster over the past few decades. Just in the last decade since since I've been working in Westminster, I've noticed how things have gotten better. Better. I think one of the issues, however, with you know the trade secretary coming out and talking about the time that she was pinned up against mm-hmm. a wall, quite a scary and violent act by the sounds of it, to compare that to something that happened to her when she was younger, you know, let's assume a while ago, to have that story placed next to stories that are happening in the past few months. For example, an MP, whilst not touching anybody, watching porn next to and around his female colleagues, uh, an incredibly uncomfortable experience makes it certainly feel like things haven't gotten better, even if statistically overall they have, you know, even if we're moving in the right direction, even if thankfully people take women's complaints and and and, and stories much more seriously, it creates this feeling that things aren't getting better. And that, that can turn people off from pursuing certain jobs or, or thinking that they're going to be comfortable in certain environments. So, I mean, I, I think there has to be you, I'm very, it's very rare that I call for more, more bureaucracy. And I, I tend to like to work for companies that at least have a startup mentality. If you know, if you tell me I'm going to be bogged down by HR, that's not going to be terribly appealing to me. But it's clear that Parliament has lacked very basic structures here. And unfortunately, there's been too much abuse of power. I imagine a lot of people just thinking they'll get away with it because power goes to the head, that we do need some clearer structures here. Mm. And James, not necessarily giving MPs a better rep is the story that uh, the Conservatives are trying to land on the Labour Party about Keir Starmer and whether or not he broke lockdown. Uh, so there's this picture from April 2021 where Starmer is pictured drinking beer with Labour staffers. Uh, the Mail today is also saying that uh, Starmer had two birthday cakes in his office in 2020. Where does this story go? I think the problem you've got is that the police have tended not to do retrospective investigations of uh, alleged breach of the COVID rules because because it because it, it it is so complex. If you don't turn up at the time, you, it, it's hard to judge the situation. In the situation of Ten Downing Street and Whitehall, Cressida Dick felt that, that you know that because these people had made the rules, that they were going to make an exception and they were going to investigate them retrospectively. Now, I think one of the problems you've got is the three most high-profile fines handed out so far are, are for an event that seems, unless we find out more about it, seems relatively kind of milk toast. You know, a, a brief interruption in the working day to say happy birthday to someone. You know, yes, obviously it might technically be against the rules, but doesn't feel like an egregious. I mean, I don't think most people would call that a kind of massive it's not the worst party, one, no. right? And because the bar has been set at that at that level, you've now got people saying, "Well, why weren't uh, why aren't other politicians being subject to retrospective investigations for other events that sit in a kind of grey area?" You know, which is, I mean, the issue with Keir Starmer was, you know, his argument is they had to eat there, so they were just having taking a break to eat. But I think there is a problem here because, which is, you know. Most British people think that, you know, once alcohol is involved, it slightly changes the nature of it. You know, it's not just a kind of, well, we must refuel because, you know, humans need um, sustenance. You, you, you slightly change it. Now, and look... And, no and one I, had an apple because they were feeling faint, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I think that, you know, I, 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 I think obviously the Tories are trying to align something when in some ways what the Grey Report is looking at is, is the whole culture of the way in which the rules were approached in Whitehall and how things were happened. And we know that some events 
from what we've heard about them, it can sound properly egregious. Now, mm-hmm. you know, admittedly, you think of the one, the night before Prince Philip's funeral. Now, Boris Johnson was not in Downing Street or present at that event, but, you know, that is clearly of a different order. But I think the, I think the problem is with this whole issue of retrospective investigations, especially when the most three most high-profile fines issued so far are for an event that, that sets a relatively low bar for what, what are you going to investigate retrospectively. Well, I guess the fundamental problem here, Kate, is that these rules are not very clear because Metropolitan Police have determined that the birthday cake incidents... And also remember they're at different times. So the of rules course. are not... The, like, I think, I think the, you know, the Metropolitan, one of the points the Metropolitan Police say when people say, why is it taking so long? Is, well, on each event, we need to go back and to the check rules, what the yeah. precise rules were at the time because they are not a constant set of rules that were in place all the way through the pandemic. Whereas Durham Police might have a different definition. And I think it's important to say as well, the birthday cake for Keir Starmer was during September 2020 when there was no lockdown. Mm, but there were plenty of COVID rules. Yeah. I can't actually remember what they are now. Um, <laughs> and they well have been legal. Um, but um, yeah, well, so one of the reasons that I'm happy that these stories do continue to be in the news, I know some people are getting really frustrated by them, but I enjoy seeing them on front pages because I think it's important that we remind ourselves almost daily that we allowed ourselves to be in a situation where government determined whether or not you could have a birthday cake on the table. It is ludicrous to think that these things were being legislated in the first place, especially once we had vaccines, especially once we understood different levels of risk. But putting that aside, I think the real problem for the Labour Party is if you're going to continue to go so, so hard on the Conservative Party and number 10 for breaking everywhere from like probably quite serious rules to perhaps just being on the wrong side of the line you have to be squeaky clean and it's just very clear now that perhaps there were moments of lapse judgment in the labor party as well as the conservative party do i think it's worse that the people actually in charge were breaking the rules yes but kiyosama is not some average bloke off the street he is the leader of the opposition who from memory was always calling for more rules throughout the pandemic he it wasn't as if he was claiming that we should roll them back i think the other problem is that these fines aren't just being issued to the prime minister and the chancellor although you know they're obviously the ones getting attention they're fines being issued to really junior members of staff now if a junior member a really junior member in downing street you know some low-level person in a events team or somewhere else is getting a fine well then it definitely feels like the leader of the opposition should be someone who could get a fine too i think that's one of the other muddled problems that we've created with the timeline and the way that these investigations have played out is a lot of people spoke to Sue Gray thinking that they were just doing the right thing, giving over the information. They didn't realize that they were then going to be investigated by the police. Mm. So if low-level people are getting you know, fines, and and they may not be extremely um, expensive fines, but they definitely have a moral weight, I would think that Kiyostama should be um, under the same kinds of investigation and rules if there's any evidence he broke them. And James, you write in your column for The Times this week that, you know, despite everything that we've been talking about, you know, Sleaze, Pestminster, all of this stuff, is a lack of an agenda for this Conservative Party that's actually going to be the bigger long-term problem? I think the problem you've got is the Tory party... First of all, renewing in office is very difficult. The Tories have been in office for 12 years. You know, think about you know the education reforms and the welfare reforms the Tories did, largely in their first term. You know, those were devised in opposition. I also think there is a problem, which is the 2019 election, the Tories fought to kind of get Brexit done and stop Jeremy Corbyn. Both of those things were kind of achieved almost by definition by the, by the election result and by winning a... Majority. I also think the Tory Party is now divided in 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 on, on, on both kind of social and economic questions. And I think there's kind of an interesting point that this Queen's speech will carry over two bills from from this current session. One which is designed to protect free speech on university 
campuses. You know, the idea is that you know there is challenging but and difficult speech, but it should have should 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 be protected because it's important that people can speak freely. And then there's an online harms bill which is designed to prevent people from seeing harmful content. And I think there are some people who would define some of the things that the free speech bill is trying to protect in universities as, as, as harmful. I mean so I think you get into a difficult tension there about which one it is. And then on the on the economics you're doing the, the big issue in the next few months is going to be the cost of living crisis and i mean there is there is a there is a divide in the Tory party you know, there are some people near the top of government who will say, say to you privately look she's just got to splash the cash right and the problem is getting all this heat on energy bills you say you spent nine billion quid already and they say well, well just obviously just to spend more and kind of make the problem go away and and then that would deal with the political problem there are other people you know kit Mulhouse, the policing minister was again making solemn in the cabinet this week he said look you know bear down on public spending and if you do bear down on public spending you get more for less then you can cut taxes and, and ease the cost of living crisis that way so there are tensions on these questions and i think they're kind of i think there'll be lots of legislation in this queen's speech but you know looking for a defining agenda at the moment there is a slight lack of one mm. kate with your economics editor hat on what do you think the government should or can do about the cost of living crisis it's really difficult right now because um i, I mean i hate to be a debbie downer on this but a lot of the decisions that could have eased this should have been made about eight months ago and a lot of them but a lot of them weren't in control of parliament it was the bank of england right they 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 have they don't really have one job but they essentially have one job and that is to um hit their inflation target it's supposed to be two percent they were you know closing their eyes they didn't want to see the problems that were coming down the track they didn't change interest rates when they could have done in a significant way and now the government has to deal with soaring inflation and a lot of the things that could tame the pain that people are going to feel may well also make inflation worse. I mean, if you are going to be borrowing tons more money at the moment, that's a very dangerous thing to do when prices are rising and inflation is off the scale. So um, I think it is also just worth saying that these problems are global, right? The the US economy contracted in the last quarter. I mean, there's some speculation that the UK economy might do the same, but, you know, inflation in Germany is at 7.8%. Eurozone inflation hit a new record high in the history of the currency block today. And and in, 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 say, FT's got a story from a Hong Kong fund manager basically saying that China, because of zero COVID, is going through its own 2008-style crisis. I mean, I, I don't mean the economic news anywhere is going to be pretty mm. in the next in the next year or so. No, it's it's it's, it's going to be really painful. James is completely right. This is a, a global issue, and until supply chains continue to figure themselves out, um, and you know Russia's aggression against Ukraine, that's making energy prices far worse. So there's a lot that is out of the government's control. I think that you know the fact that they are now starting to talk about some deregulation they're starting to talk about you know trying to f- get more economic growth going is, is 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 really good those do tend to be solutions that can help solve a cost of living crisis but they're still clearly terrified to actually make real meaningful decisions on this i mean their meeting to discuss how we're going to tackle the cost of living basically resulted in let's have another meeting in a few weeks well, but james <laughs> that's the point you make in your column as well which is just that the party has so many different opinions and a leader that isn't willing to push through the unpopular decisions as yeah, but, i mean i think on for, yeah i mean look i think the abandonment of planning reform is the, the single biggest most significant supply side reform this government had the fact it was abandoned at the first sign of kind of backbench opposition is disappointing. I mean, also, but if you look at some of these things, right, you know, for childcare ratios argument, for example, you know, you, know, you would just be talking about equalising with what happens in Scotland. Do we think that that Scottish children are being exposed to kind of dangerously unsupervised? No, we don't. And that, 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 that is something that could be done. But 
do I think that this is, and you know, we do have very expensive childcare, but do I think that this is going to make a massive you know, difference? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, and I think the problem in a way for the government is some of these things like, you know, allow people to have an MOT every two years rather than every year might be perfectly sensible. But if you tell people this is what we're going to do yeah. to help you with the cost of living and people are like, my energy bill just went up £500 and you're telling me, but I mean, it, people but are... I'm not sure there is a silver bullet. This is a really painful no, no, I, thing. I, I... And, and and James, you and I had loads of conversations about this, you know, over the past year that, you know, people in our age bracket haven't really experienced inflation. Um, certainly not as workers and taxpayers. Uh, and so, I mean, inflation robs you. And a lot of people, decades, uh, generations of people um, who have not experienced experience this before are going to learn the very harsh reality I think, of it. I think we also misread the lessons of post-2008. Mm. So post-2008, QE is done. You couldn't swing a cat when you left this office without, without bumping into someone who would tell you that this was going to lead to 10% inflation. It didn't. Mm. Because that QE basically didn't go into the real economy. It went into repairing banks' balance sheets. And this time around, the QE that they've done has gone into the real economy because it's come out in kind of furlough or um, or, or, or business support. Yeah. And, and so it is having that kind of classic inflationary effect. And then I think you look at all these strained supply chains, that is also adding to the problem. And I think if you look at the issue here as well, which is I don't think, for all the reasons Kate said, people don't think that the Bank of England is or the Fed or are on top of this. Like, they don't mean they know how to deal with it and the ECB is in an even looser position than the Fed or the Bank of England so I I think this is going to be a a, a real struggle I also think there's another issue here longer term which is essentially when China joined the WTO you had a kind of global deflationary shock as I think the world as some of these supply chains begin to unravel either for reasons of Covid or geopolitics I think you are getting a kind of a re- a, not not a total reversal of that, but you are getting an inflationary effect from the fact that you know things people want shorter supply chains, and that that is leading to to its own problems. I think mean, this is we are potentially not just in this country, but globally, and, and obviously that is a problem for this country as an open economy, uh, in for some really quite difficult times. It, it used to be that you could look around the world, and there was nearly always you know, some bit of the world economy that you could see was, was could be hopeful was going to be the motor. And I mean, the other danger is, if consumers begin to worry about inflation, right, you could argue, oh, they should spend money because, you know, their money's going to be worth less in a month's time than it is now. But people will start saying, well, actually, I'm, 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 I'm going to sit on this. I'm, I don't want to spend this money because I'm worried about where things might go. And consumer demand is one of the things that has kept the British economy going in recent decades. So, you know... So that's a happy note to end on, Cindy. And on that note, I shall end this podcast <laughs> because we've actually gone for 90 minutes today. Um, so thank you so much for joining me and thank you very much for listening as well.